0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the experts who know how to digitize and renew business models for better results in manufacturing businesses. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place. I always say that. I always mean it because this is where the best run. I have two buzz quotes to open the show today because there's so much great information we're going to be sharing with you. So listen up. Buzz number one. This is a quote from journal.businesstoday.org. Next gen mobility. Some people say it's all about the journey. Anyone who can successfully implement a change in the way we use our automobiles will transform our society. and will likely reap considerable rewards. Interesting information. Here's buzz quote number two. This is from te.com. I'm not sure what that is, but here it is. Mobility as a service platforms will replace over 2.3 billion urban private car journeys annually by 2023. Now we're almost at the end of 2020, not far off. By 2030, the automotive landscape will be defined by more sustainable, safer, and convenient ways of moving around. Okay, what are we talking about today? Here's the scoop the next generation of mobility for riders, not drivers. We talk about drivers all the time. We're talking about riders, passengers, the people who are being transported. Somebody at SAP used to say, We will be the cargo, and that's what we're talking about. And we need to leverage technology to design new ways to make our time spent between point A and point B more useful, more social and more fun. So when it comes to personal transportation and mobility, Industry 4.0, and that's what this series is about, plays a key role from the design of smart autonomous vehicles coming to a neighborhood near you soon, if not already there, through manufacturing and smart factories, and ultimately to how we as riders purchase or not, consume as a service, operate safely, maintain proactively, and protect autonomous vehicles on the roads. I have a panel of three experts, can't wait to talk to them and I'm gonna have them introduce themselves in a minute. We have Bruce Baumgartner at Zooks. We have Tobias Hoffmeister at MHP and we have Tom Madonna at SAP. And I'm gonna ask them for their insights on Industry 4.0 and the next generation of mobility for riders, not drivers. And you're probably both at some point in your life so you can all listen and Welcome again, I'm Bonnie D. Graham, happy to be here. Bruce Baumgartner, would you please honor us by telling us a little bit about what you do? And Bruce, what's your passion for this next gen mobility for riders topic? Welcome, Bruce.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Bonnie. Um, yeah, Bruce Baumgartner, I'm the vice president at Zooks for uh, procurement and strategic partnerships. Uh, I've been with the company now for about four and a half years. Uh, and when I joined the company in 2016, we were it was basically myself and, and a, base, you know, a dozen engineers or so. Uh, trying to figure out this, this ground-up platform for this next generation of mobility. And uh, over the course of the past few years, we've definitely made our share of mistakes, I think, but really, really proud of, of what we've put together. Um, and we're also spending quite a bit of time at Zooks thinking about the long-term strategy for operation of these fleets. Um, you know, how do we charge? How do we clean? How do we maintain fleets of battery electric vehicles in cities? Um, and, and one thing that I think has definitely remained true for us as we think about the, the, the landscape is this is, um, this is not something that any one company can do on their own. Um, you know, we really are reliant on uh, the right set of partners with the right expertise. Um, I think that's an imperative for us. Um, what, what makes me passionate, I would say, about the topic is I think if this is done thoughtfully, this technology that we're building really has the power to be one of the most transformative in the coming decades. Um, there are very real problems that we're trying to solve. Uh, first and foremost, I think for us, and I don't think that I heard this in the intro, but, but safety, um, you know, we're looking at roughly 40,000 people in the United States every year dying from traffic-related accidents. And that's something that, you know, there's only so many sort of passive safety and other Innovations we can bring into the vehicle. Um, we are the cause of the vast majority of those of those accidents, and so I think for us at Zooks, you know that that in particular drives us to a great degree is improving the safety of all the miles that are going to be replaced, as you referenced in your intro, over over the coming decades. Uh, um, and, and then other things I think, you know, like, like the utilization of assets, uh, for, for many people in this country and others, our vehicles are the most expensive asset we own. Um, and yet they sit in our driveways or in the parking lots of our offices 95 plus percent of the time. Um, so how can we, you know, how can we change the utilization of these assets that we're designing and building over time? And, and bring that shared that shared mobility aspect, especially to dense urban areas where there is that demand. Um, so, and, and I think the last thing I would say is about the problem itself and, and what makes me so excited for it is it's a very, very long game. So we at Zooks have been working on this since 2014 um, and other companies certainly have been in the game for, for many, many years. Waymo of course has been in it for, for a decade plus. Um, and I think that, that the long game, the challenges that are long are are generally the most worthy.
1: Thank you very much, Bruce. Pleasure to have you on. I have a quick question for you. What is the derivation of the name Zoox, Z-O-O-X? Is it a word? Is it somebody's name? What does it mean?
2: It is, uh, it is an abbreviation of a uh, single cell organism that is, I believe, organic to the Great Barrier Reef. Um, So there's a longer story behind that, but I believe it's it's the Zeus Antheli. Yeah, yeah.
1: I had a feeling there was an interesting story behind that. Thank you, Topic, for another show. Let's go around the table waiting eagerly to introduce himself, Tobias Hoffmeier. Tobias, welcome, and please tell everybody who you are, what you do, and briefly, what's your passion for this topic? Go ahead, Tobias. Thank thank you,
3: Bonnie. Really excited to be here. Uh, My name is Tobias Hoffmeister. I'm the president and CEO of MHP Americas. We're a... 80% 80% Porsche, the OEM Porsche-owned management and IT consulting company, and we're driving the future of mobility and manufacturing for our clients and with our clients. Um, but I've been actually working in this area for close to 15 years, and um, across the globe, I've been working in across three continents in 10-plus countries, and I've also helped OEMs on a very, let's say, wide variety of topics, all the way from connectivity strategies, which is the Industry 4.0, let's say a uh, core driver yeah, connecting different devices. Also when it comes to mobility um, and um, have, have also helped implementing digital strategies in, in, in yeah, various uh, large OEMs globally. Um, I think my where, where my passion really comes from for this topic is that I'm really excited about, um, well, actually I'm excited for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, the evolution of technology in general. Um, that's been a force of my life. It's been driving my life ever since I had a Commodore computer in the eighties, and have <laughs> always stayed very close. <laughs> my dad has been a has always been a tech fan and has always followed up with all the different computers that came along, and so I know very well back then uh, programming them on on DOS how, how how these old computers worked, and and I'm just very amazed by how what we what we can do nowadays. Um, and then if I think about my childhood memories, they're partially also sitting on the German Audubon in the back of a of a Volkswagen um, going on vacation with my parents. And, uh, and I think it's this combination of technology and mobility that's been driving my my passion, that's been driving my my career. Ever since I did an internship with an OEM about 20 years ago in Mexico, until this date where we're helping with my company and with my 70 people here in the US and 3000 3, people that we have globally on a large variety of topics in mobility, in connectivity, and uh, industry 4.0 in general. So I'm really excited to be here and look forward to the
1: show. Thank you, Tobias. You brought back a memory when you mentioned the Commodore of computer. <laughs> I remember when my kids were young, a, a knock on the door, uh, I think I was living in Eugene, Oregon at the time, knock on the door, and a package was delivered for my son from his grandfather, and it was a little personal computer. Uh, my son was probably about 10, 11, and we opened the box, it's like, what do we do with this? And and my son embraced it, and and we figured out what it was, and uh, it, it just was interesting going back in time to see where we've come tech-wise over the years, so thank you for, th- thank you for that, man memory, the start of something big. I appreciate that. Tom Madonna is waiting patiently. Tom, I always say that about my third guest and sometimes I say, I'm not patient. I can't wait to get on here. So Tom, you and I know each other well. You were on another show with me yesterday and I'm very happy to have you here two days in a row with me. So Tom Madonna, I'll say to you in case there may be 5.6 people around the world who don't already know who you are, why don't you speak to those people and tell them what you do and equally with your other, with your co-panelists, what's your passion for the topic? Welcome, Tom.
4: Thanks, Bonnie. Good morning, everybody. Tom Adana, I am a uh, industry executive advisor with SAP. Spent uh, some 30 years in the industry and 25 when in, in manufacturing, 23 or so uh, using the product and uh, in the ecosystem. So ultimately been doing consulting and implementations for for quite a while. I date myself, but uh, you know, my first uh, gig was uh, actually implementing R2 uh, and, and pulling it off onto R3. So. Passion for this particular topic goes back to uh, just the ability and something that Biospace brought up in regards to the conversation around technology. I mean, I, 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 re- I go back to my first computer being an XT and having two floppies to my first muggable. You know, everybody used to call it the, uh, the compact luggable with the, uh, the six-and-a-half-inch screen or four-and-a-half-inch screen that was orange. So <laughs> you know, technology has moved from you know, being something that's sitting on someone's desk to implementation and and integration into the automobile. And I think as you start to see the new technology, the new things that are out there with safety, with execution, with info systems, um, the next obvious piece is is actually looking at the AV. And and I think people will start to consider that uh, when they start looking at the price per mile. So I think one of the things that Bruce brought up to was not only safety, but I think the price per mile and you know that 90 percent unused asset sitting in your driveway is, is going to make people rethink and you can start to see that right now in, in some of the millennials in regards to do they want to drive do they not want to drive or are they going to basically do share ride all their lives you know i've, I've talked to a lot of people over uh, uh, the last uh, year year and a half and and individuals with with teenagers who have no inkling to go out and get their their driver's license you know one you know one uh, comment uh, we had a, a couple of years back on a, on a show you did, and then we also brought it up yesterday. Is uh, you know the key is still in the pocket, mm-hmm. and so I think part of you know the conversation today is going to be uh, enhancing a certain set of individuals who may like the uh, the room of the uh, of the car and and the ability to control the car versus not. But as you start to look at all the situational uh, uses of the tools, situation uses of of what's going to happen with with AV. Uh, I think a lot of it is going to come down to convenience, uh, cost, Mm -hmm. and then obviously, you know, the big thing in regards to safety and liability are obviously two or three of the big things coming up. But passion, technology is it. And you know, basically putting a platform out there for our our clients to actually use and to integrate and to extend within the supply chain uh, or across their, their enterprise is definitely, you know, part of that passion. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. I'm very interesting. You mentioned about millennials not wanting to own cars. And the question is, if you don't want to drive, how do you choose to be driven? Isn't that really what it comes up? comes down to, is it a cab? Is it a ride share with somebody else? Is it an autonomous vehicle? Who Who is in charge? And that brings the question of who decides how fast or how you get from point A to point B. Thinking about the iconic uh, picture of the New York taxi passenger is, no driver, take Seventh Avenue. No ma'am, I'm gonna take ninth, there's too much traffic. No, I want you to, of, of the driver the backseat driver, we all know about that, and the question of autonomous, when will it be safe enough to trust that you will be getting from point A to point B. Safety is a key word. Thank you all for sharing your passions for the topic. This is the part of the show now where I've asked my guests to send me a quote from a book, a movie, a song, a person, something that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic. And now I will read the quote with a little background and ask each of them to explain in their own words, just briefly, how you pick the quote and what it does have to do with the topic. So Bruce Baumgartner at Zooks sent us a quote from somebody, an iconic figure in American everything, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice. Uh, She was born Joan Ruth Bader. I didn't know that. 1933. And she passed away just this week, just last, last Friday, actually, the on the day of Rosh Hashanah, on the Jewish calendar of September 18th, 2020. She was an American jurist who served as an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the US from 1933 until her death in 2020. And she was dubbed the Notorious RBG by a law student referring to the Brooklyn born rapper, the Notorious B.I.G. And she embraced it as a nickname. And there were books about that. Here's the quote. It's a beautiful quote Bruce has selected. Real change, enduring change, Happens one step at a time, Bruce. Why don't you take about two minutes and tell us what this has to do with our topic, please?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I sort of, I guess, referenced it a little bit in in the intro, um, but I I think that the the AV space that Zooks is dedicated to and that we've been working on now for for six years um, it is not it is not something that is going to happen. Sort of in a big bang, um, it is. It is something that I think um, is is going to happen um, one step at a time. Um, we're going to be working on deploying a service for customers in uh, specific geographies. Um, it is, you know, and 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 the sort of geo if you will, you know, the 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 square mileage of that service as we bring it to one city, two cities, five cities, 10 cities, um, that that itself will also be sort of one step at a time, right? Maybe you can imagine targeting um, sort of some of the most dense urban um, activity uh, or, or sort, of, sort of geography within a city like San Francisco. Um, and then slowly over time, really expanding that geofence to capture more and more of the city and more and more of the surrounding area. Um, it's, uh, you know, the technology is also something that when you look at different geographies, whether that's different geographies within the U.S. or you start expanding your view and you start looking internationally, um, these, these algorithms that we're, that we're working on to essentially replace the human driver along with very sophisticated sensing and computing and controls technologies, um, they're going to have to adapt to each of these different geographies. And that, that also takes time. So it's not as if we, you know, we saw not only if we solve the problem in the US and we solve it for San Francisco, that we've necessarily solved it perfectly for every large, medium, small size city across the country, let alone if we jump over to London and we jump over to Paris and we, you know, if you go to India or if you go to Asia, um, there's, there's going to be nuances as we deploy the technology. And then there's obviously thinking about consumer adoption and thinking about re- the regulatory environment. And so there are all of these challenges that we have to solve. And I think we are, while we're very confident that we will solve them, it is, it is not simply something where it's an on and off switch. It's not, it's not a binary zero or one for us. Um, and that's why I say I think that, that that quote really spoke to me in terms of um, very much kind of the, the attitude and the mentality of this long game that we take at Zooks, It's going to happen one step at a time.
1: Thank you. And I'm going to take a little poetic license with that quote, Bruce, if you don't mind. And if Ruth Bader Ginsburg wouldn't mind and change it to real change and during change happens one mile at a time. Allow me that. (laughs) Exactly. Right? Exactly. We're talking yeah. about mobility. Thank you very much. Beautiful quote and honoring to a, a very great woman. I'm, I'm going to cry, actually. <laughs> Tobias Hoffmeyer, rescue me here, dear. Uh, Tobias has sent us a quote from Matthew Broderick, who played Ferris Bueller in the 1986 American teen comedy film. Uh, Matthew played a high school slacker who skips school for one day in Chicago. He regularly breaks the fourth wall in the movie to explain his techniques and inner thoughts. Interestingly, in 2014, this film was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. It was called Culturally, Historically, or Aesthetically Significant. I'll let you figure out which one it was. Here's the quote. Somebody's tapping on something. I hear a lot of tapping noise. Here's the quote. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Tobias, we love this quote. Talk to me.
3: Thank you, Bonnie. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, the movie, of course, is uh, it does mean something to me, which is why I chose the quote. Life moves pretty fast. I mean, if if one thing is for sure, time passes by and things change all the time and uh, time flies by. When you're having fun and even thinking about Corona times, probably even if you're not having fun, time is flying by. I think this has been the fastest year of my life so far, at least from what it feels like. I'll pick up some of what Bruce just said because when, so I I lived five years in China and and Shanghai and I was doing the same thing. I was working in mobility and manufacturing and there's one saying that stuck with me in china and it was ibu ibu, which essentially means one step one step so it's a very chinese way of looking at um, how things progress it's one step at a time one step one step but at the same time things progress quite quickly and um, i'll give you an example when i was in china i was ordering everything online so and that's from a from an industry 4.0 and even mobility standpoint uh, it, it amazed me everything from um, a mango an avocado to my bed's mattress i I got delivered to my doorstep and uh, and that was completely normal when i was in shanghai i went back to germany completely different stage of digitization i would say i couldn't get some of those things so life was definitely moving a bit slower uh, in germany and then a little bit more robust right data protection is a lot more important there and then making sure that all those connected device and everything works in a way that, uh, yeah, at least protects what, what's dear to you. And then coming to the U.S. about two years ago and living here for the past two years, I see that a lot of things that I've seen in China also implemented here. Just so my, my, my message being that I think a lot of things do move pretty fast, but it also depends on the people and the society um, that, that it affects. And when we think about cars, in 2014, I was actually working on a car sharing project in Beijing, China. So I was Helping a large OEM set up their car sharing sharing scheme there, and the discussions we had and the topics we discussed uh, were very much in line with what Bruce was saying. Right, it was all about so the the youth in China back then even said, well. Think, people were thinking, do we really need a driver's license? Can we even get a driver's license? Mm-hmm. So to get around um, car sharing is a, is a very, um, is, a, is a good option, especially when it comes to then autonomous driving vehicles, right? Where you don't only, well, you share a, a car, but you don't even need a driver's license. And um, seeing this just, well, this has stayed with me for the past um, six, seven years now, And it feels like I just started talking about this topic and it's evolving so quickly still um, that it just amazes me. That's why I picked that quote and why I think uh, it fits quite well with mobility because at the end of the day, it's moving fast. And one last comment to this, um, because I find that number astonishing when I was living in Shanghai and I lived in London before, the average speed, if you look at it nowadays in the cities, is 10 miles an hour. So in, in Shanghai, the average speed of a vehicle is 10 miles an hour, and that's definitely not. Great mobility. That's not fast. That's not what I, as a as a consumer, would want to see. If I want to get from A to B, I want to go fast. And so, what companies like Zooks actually will enable is, on a global scale, but also again, step by step, starting probably with some metropolitan areas, change mobility, make it faster, less congested, make it more affordable to people, and actually even enable more business um, business models, monetization models around the mobility. But I'll, maybe we'll come to that later. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Great insights. I love the way you talked even about the concept of digitization or digitalization in terms of what you can order and get delivered to you in different parts of the world. Isn't that crazy? Very, very very interesting. Thank you for that. I'm I'm really appreciating all the thought you're all putting into this uh, great conversation already. Tom Madonna has sent us a quote that is iconic. It was stated by a character named Martin Brody, played by Roy Scheider in the 1975 American Thriller film, Tongue Twister, here, directed by Steven Spielberg. Spielberg Jaws. Da, 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 da. Did I get that right, Tom? Da, 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 da. In the film, a man eating great white shark attacks beachgoers at a summer resort town, prompting police officer Chief Martin Brody, played by Roy Scheider, to hunt it with the help of a marine biologist, played by Richard Dreyfus, and a professional shark hunter, played by Robert Shaw. Roy, Roy Scheider, who played Brody, ad libbed the line at different points throughout the film filming and it became the most iconic line in the movie and an inside joke and we don't know what the inside joke was here's the line you're gonna need a bigger boat Tom I read the history of the quote I was I was like love at first quote sight so Tom tell us how did you pick this and what are we talking about Tom Madonna
4: Thanks so this is one of my one of the quotes I use quite a bit and, and it, it's an analogy that basically can be applied to a lot of different settings but in this particular one, and I love that you know Bruce is sitting in front of the ocean. So at this point in time, that's uh, you know, that's a great uh, background for the for the quote. But as you start to think about it, yes, it's going to be step by step. It's going to be one thing at a time. But at the end of this, you're going to have something come up. You know, you're going to have something big come up. You're going to have a, a movement that needs to occur. This is going to be uh, you know impacts to the the, the actual rider, impacts to the infrastructure, impacts to. Uh, Insurance impacts to supply chain. We're going to need more people, basically providing more value and more components to actually build these vehicles. So, uh, a bigger boat is uh, is something that the the industry and something that this particular platform is going to need at some point in time. So, you know, we we might be trolleying around in a small boat now, but at the at the end of the day, we're going to need a bigger boat with uh, a lot more people in it and a, a lot more execution. So yes, the quote is used, and 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 I love it. Movie is uh, is thirty now, actually forty five years old uh, this year, um, and uh, it's still a classic. So thanks for uh, uh, you know adding to it.
1: Thank you very much. I love I love the quote. I got to start using that one. I don't know where, but I will in some kind of conversation. Thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate the work you put into picking very interesting quotes and sharing your interpretation with us. Now we get to the roundtable, the seri- really more serious. We've been ser- more serious part of the show. I'm going to start off reading a little bit of statement number two from Bruce Baumgartner. I'd like to go to number two, Bruce. I'm going to read a little bit because you put a lot of work into it. It's long. And I want to read just the first couple of sentences. Bruce, I'll ask you to expand it for about two minutes and then I'm going to invite Tobias Hoffmeyer to come in. And Tobias, I'll ask you to agree or disagree. Don't be afraid of Bruce. You're, you're allowed to disagree if you want to. It's okay. He will smile, I promise. <laughs> there we go. We got a smile from Bruce. And then I'll invite Tom to come in and agree or disagree with Bruce and or with Tobias. And then we'll finish that one up and I'll pick a statement from Tobias, go around the table, one from Tom. So here we go. Here's what Bruce Baumgartner at Zooks told me before the show. He says, companies seeking to revolutionize mobility through the development of complex software, sensing and or computing solutions, intending to replace the human Cannot do so alone. And here's what I want you to talk about. Bringing the robo-taxis of the future to market will rely on the countless years of proven engineering and industrial expertise of key partners and suppliers. So you can go anywhere where you want with this. Bruce, why don't you tell us a little expansion here, and then we'll see what the others have to say. Go ahead, Bruce.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Bonnie. So what, where I was going with that is um, there, there's a lot to do. As we think about bringing uh, these sort of what I re- what I referred to in the quote as uh, as robo taxis of the future to market, um, and you know the I think here in California where you see a lot of this work happening in the AV industry, you see companies like Zooks working on the software systems. You see companies popping up working on new technologies for for sensing and for computing. Um, this is, this is no one company can do all of these things itself and be successful. And in fact, I would say, even if a company could, it should not do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's always the philosophy we took in terms of there are, there are unique things, uh, unique value that Zooks can bring to the table. As we look at building a ground up platform, a ground up service, the software that comes with it. Um, but there are things that other companies, other partners in the sort of network of suppliers and vendors that we can work with in in the industry. Um, there are other things that they are deep experts in uh, that they've been working on for decades in some cases, as much as a century. And we would be much uh, we would benefit significantly to rely on that expertise, whether it is engineering or industrialization. Um, but but where I see opportunity even as we rely on those partners uh, that we rely on quite a bit today for both sort of vehicle components and systems and software solutions etc is um, what we're when you think about deploying these sort of Robo taxi fleets into dense urban areas you are it's a complete, shift in how people operate today even in shared mobility platforms today like an uber or a lyft the driver owns the platform or leases the platform the driver takes the platform home each evening right and the driver is responsible for the maintenance and for the fueling or the charging whatever the case may be in the future you can imagine companies like Zooks being responsible for that entire fleet and we're going to see that fleet we're going to to touch that fleet every day and the amount of data that we can pull off of the vehicle, whether that is customer interface and customer feedback or simply, you know, what's going on with the steering system today? What's going on with the braking system? Um, you know, what what kind of information are we gathering from the various, um, you know, electrical components that are within these vehicles of the future? How do we feed that data back? into our tier one supply base? How does that data trickle then down from the tier one to the tier two to the tier three to really think about a different way to engineer from from really way back sort of upstream in, in the supply chain? How are we engineering each and every piece of this vehicle for this new use case? And by new use case, sort of referring back to this notion of our vehicles that you and I have purchased, everybody on this call that sits in our driveway and in our mm-hmm. office parking lots, 96% of the time, that's not what's what's coming, right? We're talking about trying to, a, a robot doesn't sleep, doesn't get tired, et cetera, right? So we can deploy that robot into the streets of New York or San Francisco or Paris, 15, 16, 17, 18 hours a day, because that's as long as there's demand, why not, right? Why not have these vehicles out there? But then we want these vehicles operating on that duty cycle and so we really need to approach everything going into that vehicle very differently.
1: Thank you, Bruce. Very interesting concepts there. Tobias Hoffmeister at MHP, please comment. I'd love for you to agree or disagree. We wanna know what's your POV on what Bruce shared. Go ahead Tobias.
3: Yeah, so no, of course in principle, I, I fully agree. And it's um, it's definitely what the, uh, what the future of mobility will look like. Um, it, it comes with a lot of challenges, however, right? And then Bruce was alluding to that. You have the fleet management topic just in general, similar to any sort of fleet that you operate. You have to make sure, like Bruce was saying, that the cars are being cleaned, that, they have, that they're char- being recharged. Um, and, and then the question comes to well, how do you maintain them, right? So that, that comes down to predictive maintenance, comes down to uh, making sure that you even foresee ideally what is the best route. You, you mentioned it. If you, if you had a taxi driver in New York, he would probably either know where to go or he would try to charge you a couple extra bucks. But with a robot taxi, what you expect, of course, is always to take the best route that that's possible um, based on, I don't know, Waze data or Google data um and and i think that's that's definitely going to change how people use these vehicles um we've if you take this thought even one step further into innovation and into what's possible uh, we we're, we're currently discussing with a large healthcare company or healthcare provider on additional services that you can then offer right if you have a robot taxi if you have somebody who sits in a taxi or in a, in a in a vehicle for a certain amount of time there's of course a lot of new things that you could do i mean first of all it, In corona times, you could hold a conference and business, telco, um, while driving. So that's something that you could offer on the go. But you could also think about healthcare, i.e. having a robotaxi go to elderly people, pick them up, drive them to a doctors, um, pick them up again, or even have something installed in the vehicle where you, for example, take blood um, while you're there, or, or at least do some certain testing at the at the person's doorstep, and then you transport the, the blood or the samples back to um, a, a central location. So those use cases, they will completely transform our, our society. Um, what's interesting though, where I, where I often tend to disagree a bit with those that are super innovative and, and forward thinking is that I do think this will all take a lot of time. Um, I was at CES this year in, in January, and it was one of the last bigger events that I went to. And and one of the and I, I did a speech there, and, and, and one of the topics that I, that I talked about was, it's great to see a lot of new things that could happen potentially, right? For, theoretically, all these things will probably happen, but back to Bruce's initial comment, it's a step-by-step approach. So a lot of those things, even though they're possible, they will require some time. They don't only require the shift in human behavior that Tom was alluding to, right? driver's license and all these things, but it also requires uh, a lot of capital investment. And even though some of those things make a lot of sense when it comes to Industry 4.0, what we can see nowadays is things, even though they make sense, don't happen immediately, right? It needs investment, it needs uh, money. And, and that's where I'm so excited with Zooks because they're focusing. They're focusing on a certain specific piece of, um, of, of, of this whole challenge and then they're, they're, they found an excellent way of solving it, and, and are pushing that forward. What we are talking about here is though an ecosystem of a lot of things, right? Uh, where also mm-hmm. data plays a big role. Um, and the question is, how do you use that data? When 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 talking about charging, when talking about those brake systems, um, it's very clear: the more data they have, the better your prediction, your analytics will get. But you have to make sure with uh, uh, analytics or uh, the industrial cloud, even. Uh, that you need to connect everything, that you can analyze this and that you can drive this change. Again, back to my point, life moves pretty fast. A lot of things are moving very fast, but I, th- I don't think everything is going to be here by 2030 in the way that we discuss it here. I wish it was, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big pro- proponent. I'm, I'm trying out new things all the time, but I do also think, especially here in the US, we're in a driving economy, somebody in the Midwest, they're not going to use robot So it's about use cases in, in, that, in that sense thinking about where does it make sense? Where doesn't it make sense? Where will people continue to use combustion engines, drive around on their own? Because, well, just simply doesn't make any sense for them to use an autonomous driving vehicle.
1: Interesting. So we before we were talking about the, the delivery of things through digital purchases, online purchases to different countries. And now we're talking about use cases by region, maybe even Tobias by neighborhood, by community, what what do these people want? What is their lifestyle? How fast can they embrace the vision of companies that are trying to do good and make changes, but it has to be adopted before it's adapted? Very interesting. Tom Madonna, we'd love to get your thoughts on this. Good topic going around the table. Tom?
4: But love comments by both both of the of the speakers. Yep. I think the one thing that's kind of common across this, not only with the use case internally within Zooks, but also, the external use case that uh, is going to be transparent is data is the new currency. So you start to talk about how that data is going to be applied internally to the actual platform, how it's going to be supplied up and down their supply chain. Secondarily, you could look at how it could be applied outside. So let's talk, you know, what you can do with the data. Can you sell it to the municipalities in regards to keeping up the roads? Can you sell it to the municipalities in regards to, you know, traffic signals and execution? You know, there's a lot of different use cases that will monetize, you know, the platform itself. But as you start to look at the execution, yes, it's gonna take steps as it's been already talked about. There are going to be pieces that will move quickly. There'll be pieces that will move slower, but in general use cases will get down, could even get down, Bonnie, to the the individual person. this particular person at this particular income in this particular uh, you know, municipality in this particular uh, time of the day or this particular time of the week wants to do this. so therefore now you're putting that fleet uh, unit somewhere close that you know they pick the phone up or they use the app it's there. you know it's there in, in, in seconds because of, of the use case and, and, and they're paying for that convenience. So there's a lot of different ways in regards to these use cases uh, can be can be looked at the monetization of the use case, and then how that data is going to flow, both upstream, downstream, uh, customer data, employee data, and then how uh, you know the uh, the customers will apply to it. So, great conversation.
1: I I agree. These are exciting times and challenging times, right, Bruce, Uh, pivoting off of what you started the conversation. Bruce, thank you for a very interesting conversation starter. And I'm going to move on to Tobias Hoffmeister at MHP. And Tobias, I'm looking at statement number three. This is going to focus a little more on the industry 4.0 aspect of our topic, which is the theme of this radio series. So I'll read a little bit and then ask you to expand it. And then Tom is sitting next to you. Tom will chime in and then Bruce, you'll round this one out. uh Tobias told me before the show, he said, innovative approaches as part of an industry 4.0 journey include closed-loop manufacturing, smart factory, and digital twins. I'm going to stop there because those are all exciting topics. So, Tobias, you're up. Talk to me.
3: Thank you, Bonnie. Um, sure. So, everything we're talking about, and then Bruce was alluding to that too, um, has to do with products making our life more easy, more simple. But in order to do so, we need the data. Right? lots of data, and we need to make sure that that ties into the actual development, the R&D, the research and development process of product. So in essence, um, that's what closed loop excellence or closed loop manufacturing is is about. Uh, it's about making sure that what the customer actually needs at the at the end of that, let's say, the, the engineering value chain ties back into the front. And while in let's say decades ago that could have happened through just a verbal conversation and market studies nowadays this is all uh, becoming a lot more digitized and technical Um, and it's really tying into the overall engineering process so uh, when we talk about industry 4.0 coming from 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 my personal experience and perspective the most of the companies aren't where they could be when it comes to really tying in all that information making sure that the product is automatically potentially even with machine learning evolving into a better product based on actual customer feedback and data when thinking about the smart manufacturing aspect of this and that's where we're doing a lot of work um, here in the us uh, it's it's about manufacturing execution systems Right, making sure that your machines are actually even connected to uh, an ERP or the the the, um, the the backend system, making sure that the data that you collect goes somewhere and actually have an impact on your production process, making it more efficient, reducing uh, costs, but also. It, Ultimately, increasing the quality. When it comes to mobility, everybody wants quality, right? It wants, a, it wants a high quality product because we're moving people around or goods around at higher speeds. So we want to make sure that that actually happens and, and, and nothing breaks down. I, I always listen to Scott Price. He's, he, he used to be the um, head of strategy at UPS until late um, um, and, and is now running the international business. But it's always absolutely fascinating to see what they are doing in the logistics space. Yeah? And for me, m- connecting this manufacturing with the logistics, tying it all back in into the design process, mm. that's what Industry 4.0 is, is about. And that's where it drives a lot of value. Um, and, and as a last point, one thing that I, that I just want to add is interest, the interesting pieces, you have some companies like, like Azooks, let's say, who are doing all those things in the best and, and right possible way. And very much at the forefront of technology, but older companies who already have their production facilities all set up, there it's all about use cases, right? So it's it's not as easy that they wake up one morning and say, well, now let's let's go into closed loop manufacturing, uh, and and using right a, a digital copy of their product in order to uh, simulate certain things. Mm-hmm. But it's it's they they would have to start with a. Proof of concept or MVP, start with little steps, baby steps, back to my Ibu Ibu, the one step approach, and and, and doing that and then driving the overall journey from there. And I'm sure Tom has, has a lot more to say on this because he's been doing this for many years, but um, and such like myself, my clients, what, what they usually tell me is yes, this is all great, but give me one specific example how we can change our overall production process and how we can tie things back in or how we can digitize certain touch points in order to drive um, digitization, right? Step-by-step. Step.
1: Thank you, Tobias Hoffmeister. Tom, Madonna, you've been summoned by Tobias. I'm mean, going to let you add, uh, agree or disagree? I think I know where you're going to go with this. Tom, talk to us, please.
4: I agree. And I think part of the direction for closed loop, part of the direction with uh, a faster turnaround is to reduce uh, quality issues, bringing the customer value and the customer experience at a higher pace. I mean, you think about some of the studies that are out right now uh, that some of the OESA uh, members have put together in regards to customer experience, keeping the customer and making sure your, your things and your, your quality and your engineering are up to speed. I think back to a first-of-a-kind implementation I did back in the 2000s where we were taking one of the OEMs uh, from somewhere between 290 days of finding a defect and then, therefore, uh, determining what a root cause was, a determination, and then doing a recall. You know, so two, you know, basically two thirds, three three fourths of a year to basically come up with that. Uh, so the system that got put in basically reduced that down by almost 120 days. Now let's talk about what happens with 4.0. Let's talk about how that data. Let's talk about the algorithms that we put in in regards to the sensing. You know, could you turn around a uh, 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 change uh, in, in days uh, or hours and, and therefore uh, move things forward? As you start to think about Zooks and, and AV and you start thinking about, tra- you know, a transistor or a solid state component as compared to a moving part, there's gonna be an easier way to switch those things out. So as, as Bruce alluded to earlier, if, if you're using that particular uh, vehicle 16, 18 hours a day, what happens during the, during the six, eight, 10 hours it's sitting off? And can those things instantaneously uh, find a particular defect, uh, turn around uh, input to it, and then basically do a 3D printing and put the new component directly back in? You know, yes, I'm thinking, and yes, we're not talking about the Justins, but at this point in time, you start to think about that. The, the time that it takes from the finding the root cause to the time you actually come up with a solution, there's millions of dollars there for these manufacturers in regards to it. Cause you know, if you can point it down to 10 vehicles that came off of a line yesterday as compared to a million that came off the line over the last six straight weeks, big, huge impact. Let's talk about the customer experience that goes with that you talk to the one customer that has to bring his vehicle and it compared to the million customers that you basically say, oh, by the way, when you're in next time, let's talk about, you know, fixing the following uh, service bulletins or, or execution. So the best basically brought it up and it was, it was a good point, but again, it's time is, is gonna be the value there and the execution and, and being able to do the root cause quickly, uh, turn around a solution quickly and then bring it. That's closed loop, that's manufacturing, and that's gonna take a platform of completely integrated suppliers with a structure that basically is picking up sensors instantaneously on the vehicle, transmitting them back and then moving forth. I mean, last quote I think I I saw coming out of uh, Industry Week, uh, 1.5 trillion transactions, data executions come off of a vehicle per second in today's world. What does that really mean? And, and can those particular OEMs build out something that's gonna to respond to that? It's not gonna be a human interaction. It's gonna be some sort of algorithm in regards to taking the IoT data, analyzing it, putting it back for use. And it's gonna take a platform that has that data in it that so that data can basically be analyzed and, and used. So again, great concept, great point. But I appreciate it, Bruce.
1: Bruce, you're up, talk to us.
2: Uh, Thank you. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with, um, with, with the vast majority of what's been said. I think it's, it's a super interesting topic. Um, I, maybe I would take it a slightly different direction and, and highlight the, um, what I think the power of a closed loop system has for the customer experience. Um, and, and, it sort of gets at what some of what Tobias and Tom were saying, which is, if you have the power to to really use all of this data, and quite frankly, I would say right now we don't, right? I, and when I say we, I mean the industry. There's so much data and there's so many ideas about what we can do with the data. Um, But I don't think that the physical world and the digital world really are quite perfectly in sync yet to to fully harness all of that data. As I was saying earlier, it would be amazing if we could pull all of these, these bits and bytes off the vehicle and feed it back up upstream into our supply base and make really smart design changes and then really smart detailed engineering changes and then manufacturing changes and then quality changes and that sort of closed loop system all the way through. Um, we can't today. Uh, we're we're not we're not having that sort of interconnected influence to the degree that we really could. Um, but I think we can as we march forward. And what that really ultimately does is it brings a better experience for the customer. Um, and and by that I mean you know it's I, I came to Zooks out of the consumer electronics industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the consumer electronics industry, we are uh, we are moving at a different speed. Than I think the automotive industry traditionally moves, right? We are consumer, consumers want a, a better, faster, uh, prettier phone every year or every two years or every four, whatever the, whatever the cycle is now. I I don't, I don't even know, Hmm. Um, you know, different, different laptop, different, different OS. Like they want this constantly. They want it better. They want it. So, um, in automotive, you know, you purchase your car and, or you lease your car and you have it for, for three or four or five years, but all of this technology that's going on inside the vehicles that are, you know, these, these revisions that are releasing for people every single year, um, they're, they're not really necessarily moving at the speed that the technology really can. Um, and then you also have folks that are that, that did buy that vehicle two, three, four, five years ago. And it's it just feels so antiquated, right? You get into the you get inside your vehicle and you're like, man, you know, this is it's 2020, but my vehicle definitely does not feel 2020. So in, in a again, in this sort of this world of a captured fleet, where by captured fleet I mean this this fleet that that the 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 operator owns and sees and touches every day. We charge it every day, we maintain it, we clean it, et cetera. What can we do in this close close loop to update that customer experience in this robo taxi of the future? How do we update that customer experience more rapidly? You know, maybe it's more on the, the 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 cell phone cycle, where the customer is is kind of bringing stepping into for for all of ten or twelve or fourteen minutes of their journey from A to B, they're stepping into an environment that that does feel fresh and it feels exciting and it feels technologically innovative. Um and it never gets stale because we get the feedback, we feed it, we feed it back upstream through the supply chain. We we you know we we are the 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 the, the fleet owner, so we're capturing all of this feedback and we're we're making updates to the design. And um that that to me is is the, the closed loop sort of the, the capacity for closed loop to have a massive impact on the customer experience is Um, is really exciting for us. And it's one of the big reasons why we ultimately decided that, that we wanted to own every piece of it. We wanna own the vehicle, we wanna own the software, we wanna own the service down the road. Because for us, it's bringing all of that together really ultimately at the end of the day means that the customer gets the best possible experience.
1: Thank you. Wow, Tobias, what a great topic around the table. We're almost out of time, but I want to sneak in one more quick topic just from Tom Madonna, and then we're going to go into our crystal ball predictions round. So, Bruce and Tobias, you can think about your 60-second prediction. Well, Tom, I'm just gonna have ask you to expand this one. Your statement number two says the search for talent is driving a shift from HR to human experience management by empowering the systems and processes needed to compete for talent in the marketplace. Just quickly relate this to our our discussion today. Tom?
4: Sure. I think one of the things we've talked about is the customer experience. We talked about manufacturing. We talked about how the closed loop would occur. Who's all running that? People. And so as you start to think about the, you know, the points that Bruce just made in regards to what the customer is looking at. So part of that's going to drive a technology shift, you know, from doing to innovating. And so the search for talent, the search for individuals, and then once you find those individuals, how you keep them uh, retrained and, and happy to retain in your organization. So there's a lot of things that are gonna basically be driven to that. So we start talking about the human capital experience. We're talking about those employees who are actually gonna help you innovate, help you drive that, help you manufacture, as well as how you're going to, they will be able to be used to, to innovate with customers. So long and short, all of those really are gonna drive a human capital execution model because it's gonna take a lot of people, you know, a bigger boat uh, internally to actually be Happy to, to move those products forward.
1: Thank appreciate you very the, much. The time. You know what? I, I feel like we needed about three hours for this topic. The three of you are so packed with great information and insights. I, I feel like I've just taken a course in Industry 4.0 and mobility for riders and for everybody. I can't thank you enough. Really dynamic. But before we go, we've got to get to our crystal ball prediction. 60 seconds each. I don't know if you can each stick to sixty seconds, but here's the challenge, Bruce Baumgartner. Go ahead, sixty seconds are all yours. Vite, vite, as they say in French. Go.
2: Okay, I, I will try to stick to sixty seconds. Um, a prediction. So, so I think um, my, my prediction is that the the household names that we all know um, and in some cases love very much when it comes to our cars. Um, those household names will um, inevitably struggle uh, as we move forward and 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 look at this transition from privately owned vehicles into these auto- shared autonomous fleets of the future. Um, it is a it is a, a massive daunting task unto itself to make that kind of transition and to put the amount of resource people, like human capital, actual f- funds, um, especially as, a, as many of these pu- publicly traded companies, um, it is, it is a, an enormous distraction in some cases for their core business. And I think as they see that this is in fact the, a very, very long game to get to sort of the pot of gold on the other side, um, I think you're gonna see a real shakeup as we make that transition. And some of those household names that we all have come to know and love, are 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 not going to make that transition with us.
1: Thank you, Bruce. You almost hit sixty seconds. Tobias Hoffmeister, you've got sixty seconds. Tom, you're going to get forty five. Go ahead, Tobias. Thanks, thanks, Bonnie.
3: Yes, I think looking into the future, it will all depend on investments that need to be made. Corona has actually put a lot of important investments on on halt, um, at least for the larger larger companies. Um, I think it has to do with people and mindset. We talked about it. Uh, adaptation has to do with people actually making sure that they also embrace the change. And it will be use case driven. It will be use case driven, POC driven. And I think the the companies that will succeed, they will succeed because they're um, leveraging the right partnerships, the right companies that they work together with. And I think it's, it will be platform driven. So the data topic, everything we talked about, it will be not one single company will be able to solve all, but it will be those that embrace the change. Um, it's almost a hygiene factor that they need to do this, but that they embrace platforms and partnerships. They will be the ones that will succeed and who will be strong. And not everything will change at once, but in, in then over the next years, we
1: will see continuous ongoing change. Thank you. Tom Madonna, almost 60 seconds, go. I'll,
4: I'll use one of your favorite quotes from David Bowie, changes. <laughs> so at this point in time, I predict change. At this point in time, I think everything we've talked about today everything that's been discussed, the topics, the derivations, the tangents, have all been one driving piece, change. Change to the driver, change (laughs) to the rider, change to the industry. So I think as we start to see and start to predict out, uh, change is there. So, you know, the platforms we have today may not be the platforms we have tomorrow. There'll be changes, there'll be reiterations of those. Um, You know, who's to say that the AV doesn't become flyable? So let's, you know, talk about whether or not you want to have uh, flying personal AV, uh, you know, aircraft versus uh, going on the ground. If you want speed, can you get somewhere faster in the air? So I think change is going to be there. And I think those companies that are, you know, younger, uh, you know, have an ability to change faster than the companies, as Bruce talked about, in regards to those that are older, may have a, a longer piece. But again, change.
1: Thank you. Ch-ch-ch-changes, turn and face the strange. And I think that's one of Judy Kubis's favorite quotes. Everybody give a round of applause to Judy Kubis at SAP for putting together and helping with this show. Judy, marvelous selection of panelists. I can't thank the three of you enough and everybody in the background and Richard Howells and Diane Pickett sponsored this this series, I think this is episode 12. I think this is wrapping up the series for the season, but I'm hoping they'll do one more extra episode in a couple of weeks. So I want to say thank you to all the people behind the scenes, including Aaron Keller. He calls himself my sidekick. He's my engineer extraordinaire. Thank you, Aaron, very much. And thank you for all the people from Zooks and MHP and SAP who were lurking in the background here on Zoom. So here's my call to action. And how appropriate for the show, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car is getting two months to the gallon. How's yours doing? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Bruce Baumgartner at Zooks. Thank you, Bruce. Just like Tobias Hoffmeister at MHP, a Porsche company. Thank you, Tobias and Marcus and all the people who worked with you to do this. And Tom and Donna, can't thank you enough. Two days in a row. I'm so lucky to talk to you. Everybody over and out. Be safe, be smart, be savvy, be well. Talk soon. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.